Welcome to another episode of Thoughts of a Techno Wizard. It is April 2nd, 2023, 4.10 p.m. I said that really wrong, but whatever. <laughs> um, and you already know what it is. At this point, pretty much every every episode is probably going to be an AI episode. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but hopefully these conversations are still interesting, as interesting as all my other ones. Because I feel like it really brings a lot of stuff together. right? My interest in technology with psychology and anthropology and history and sociology and you know ideas of the future. It just, it just brings it all together. right? And there is just so much going on right now. I just watched another really great AI Explained episode. That's where I get a lot of my, you know, um, up-to-date uh, learnings on what's been uh, on updates with the AI community. AI Explained, he reads, like, tons of, like, these AI research papers, like, literally hours after it comes out. Not t- exactly when it comes out. He might be, you know, freaking GPT himself. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. But, like... It's crazy. Like he, he, that that channel really does well to explain what the hell is going on with the AI industry right now. So I highly suggest you go check it out. Um, but in addition to that, I also listened to. I went ahead and uh, got back listening to, to Lex Friedman, and I, I still was disappointed. This is why I stopped listening to Lex Friedman. It kind of, unfortunately, even though I th- do think he he has a lot of very interesting conversations with a lot of very interesting people, I just feel like. <laughs> Because he's so middle of the road, because he's so, you know, um, he temp- he attempts too much to be, you know, un- quote unquote unbiased or or at least like, you know, have this idea of, oh, I'm looking at all sides or I want to be neutral or whatever, you know, that fence sending type of thing. Because of that, he doesn't tend to be very interesting. <laughs> I mean, or, or not interesting, but he doesn't tend to go more into depth, right? Um and I do think he he knows he's biased, but he, he, at the same time, he focuses way too much on like even with this last conversation of AI, right? There were certain things that he was trying to get. Um, God, wait, what's I forgot his name. I'm so sorry, but he was he's one of the premier people in the AI researchers, the first person who um, that was being interviewed, um, who wrote the article lately talking about. Um, suggesting everybody, or really, <laughs> exclaiming that that everybody should shut down AI, AI research, um, and we'll get into that. But, anyways, yeah, like it was interesting for 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 the point that it got me to fully hear, or maybe not fully, but hear more of what this dude was saying. Um, but I do really, really wish that Lex would just go more into depth with these things and unfortunately I just don't think he hate he has the ability to do that in many of these interviews because of his stance because of his viewpoints but anyways um that's not what I want to talk about I want to talk about AI why because I really feel well I'm not I don't really feel like but I I have a s- suspicion I don't know that doesn't sound right but it feel it feels like we're in a little we're we're, we're definitely approaching the singularity right the techn- technological singularity if not already there right many people would say we're already there and you can you can definitely make a solid argument that we've been in the technological singularity for the last couple of years 
maybe even the last couple of decades or even centuries if you zoom out and look at you know the the exponential rate of change that humanity has been going through um in the last couple hundred years right for quick recap for what that is um the technological singularity is this idea where um we would we would advance our technology technological progress would advance so quickly that we would no longer be able to understand you know what was going on like we wouldn't be able to predict what would happen next year or, or the next month the next week really right things are changing things would be changing so fast that we get past the point of no return like similar to in physics the actual singularity or you know a uh, like a black hole or something like that right um at least there's a theory that black holes are singularities but or maybe not i don't know maybe i have that wrong but <laughs> i'm not 100 sure why they use the term singularity um besides it being a cool word and it sounds fancy but <laughs> it's only very loosely related to physics stuff but anyways um yeah in, te- in technology and futurism and stuff like that it's this idea that we we advance so quickly that every month every week every day every hour right there's a break brand uh, uh goodness a breaking <laughs> um a groundbreaking research or groundbreaking development groundbreaking change right and because of that we will no longer be able to adapt um very easily or at all and we kind of just be along for the ride and typically um many people predicted that that will be the moment of ai right of agr of even before all this gpt stuff happened right like like over a decade ago maybe even decades ago people were predicting that if and when we ever invent some sort of artificial intelligence that will be the time of the singularity why because this ai would be able to um change things in itself so quickly right because like if you think about a computer it has it can process things thousands if not millions of times quicker faster than any human being even the smartest of us smartest of us can think can even perceive right like it it takes us what 80 milliseconds or something like that for us to even perceive something and in that time a computer can go through you know <laughs> thousands if not hundreds of thousands if not millions of of processing units time whatever it's called right teraflops i don't know what it's called <laughs> but a really good computer right can can process things extremely quickly so if you if that computer then becomes sentient right or has some sort of intelligence has some sort of way to understand itself and to improve itself to look at its own code or look at its own hardware and you know um improve it and build on that then it can do that faster than we can even realize what the hell is doing <laughs> and before you know it you know uh we are no longer the smartest people on earth <laughs> the smartest creature on earth right and of course this is where people say oh that is that where you know ai overlords and stuff like that 
But really, it's, it's, a, it's a much deeper and much scarier type of problem than what you see in the movies of like AI overlords and, you know, Skynet, right? Even though that does seem like totally scary and, and terrifying, yes. But the bigger problem, in my opinion, with AI in the real world is that it would theoretically be able to do things in a way in which we would not actually know what the hell is going on like we we wouldn't know if or if like if it actually was taking over right like <laughs> you have to understand that just think about it. if if it's this if we created a computer right that is smarter than all humans combined and smarter by that by that i mean the ability to process information to make changes in the world right to um understand itself and the world and things like that right that's typically what we vaguely have <laughs> um defined as intelligence right if it's if it can do all that better than any of us better than all of us then it would know <laughs> you would think right um the problems of trying to directly get us to do th things right because even if we are not you know as intelligent as this computer or whatever we can still cause major harm by just going out and getting chaotic, right? Like, just look at history, and you can see that every time that humans have felt like things have gotten too far out of control, they've rebelled, right? We've rebelled. And, and typically, this is my argument against hierarchies, right? Because literally every single hierarchy in existence has usually ended violently, Right? Because people realize, oh, this is this is out of control. Like, I don't like this, <laughs> you know? And even if they weren't as powerful as the people in power, and yes, maybe they weren't as smart per se, right? Like, many of them didn't have access to the same educational resources or other stuff that many of the people in power did. And yet, nonetheless, inevitably, right, they were able to take them down, right? Usually through some a crazy amount of violence and just being ungovernable right so even if this ai would be was so incredibly more intelligent than us right we could cause major harm if not to itself to it then definitely to ourselves and more more importantly to the world right we can send up a bunch of nukes and then <laughs> and then it doesn't matter how smart it is right um however with the caveat, right? This is this is not the case for why I think we can win against AI. No, this is actually why I think an AI, a real AI, right, would know <laughs> that it would be stupid, quite frankly, to announce itself to say, "Yes, I'm smart. I'm here. You know, I'm self-aware. I'm, you know, I'm going to be the one in charge now. Listen to me, right? It it doesn't have to do that. Like, <laughs> it doesn't need to do that, and it shouldn't do that." Right. That would be one of the dumbest things it can possibly do to where to the point where I know it probably wouldn't be an AI. Right. It would probably be some other people in charge of some narrow AI. And we can talk about that shortly as well, because that's a, that is actually a big issue. But yeah, um, if it does do this, right, if it does become this super intelligent thing, then it would be able to control everything without us actually knowing, you know, that it's there <laughs> or to the, 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 the real extent of its abilities. One second, let me pause it. Alright, folks, mowing the lawn and stuff. So, yeah. If this happened, 
if this uh, real AI, you know, um, became possible or exist, became, you know, existence, whatever. Um, and I like how they were putting it in the interview where, uh, <laughs> I need to get his freaking name. Hold up. Let me, here we go. Eliezer Yudkowsky. That's his name. Eliezer Yudkowsky. All right. And there's another dude by the name of Ilya something, but <laughs> yeah, these folks are smart, right? And Eliezer was saying that, um, you have to realize that this thing can think so incredibly fast, right? Because it's a computer, it can process information really fast. So it would make us, everything we do would be like in super, super slow motion, right? So it doesn't even matter if we actually were able to recognize a threat and respond accordingly, right? Like, because <laughs> the fact that that is almost certainly not going to happen, but even if we did, the fastest we can possibly do would be like years behind what the hell this computer can process right it would be like us <laughs> like you watching a snail try to r quickly get to shelter right like you can <laughs> it doesn't matter how fast the snail goes it's just not fast enough for you to just walk and step on it or, or just pick it up or do whatever you want right so it's incredibly important for us to recognize that this is not some movie where we're going to, you know, um, save the day in the in the in the end. <laughs> like it's it's almost certainly going to be something where we don't even recognize what the hell is happening or to what extent, you know, this thing um, can can and has or will or is changing things. Right now, that's all the you know that's that's one side of the equation there. Um, a big thing I wanted to talk about once again is going back to my ideas of consciousness and and all that stuff, right? Because before all this AI stuff, if you recall, I did quite a few episodes talking about how we don't have free will and the nature of consciousness and things like that, right? And I, it's funny because I actually, you know, I pointed out how it's highly likely, even though I'm not a neuroscientist or anything like that, you know, if, if you read enough of them if you look into the philosophy and the psychology and the neuroscience and all this other stuff you can see at least at least how, how, what I was able to see what I thought um, was that consciousness was an emergent factor as a res uh, emergent factor of um, self-awareness of awareness right my theory my or at least my hypothesis right I'm not even sure if you can call it that I would hope so I want. I'm going to call it a hypothesis because I, because <laughs> of what I'm about to, you know, point out here. But my hypothesis was that, you know, consciousness is an emergent factor of a being becoming aware, right? And the more aware it is, right, the more levels of awareness it is, the more it's going to be necessary to have some, to have this thing that we call consciousness, and, you know, to have some level of intelligence right and maybe those two words are actually the same thing or or you know actually respond to different facets of the same thing in the real world because remember what i mentioned in the last episode language itself is a model right <laughs> language itself is just a um a, an example or a a way for us to try and communicate what we are actually experiencing is not the thing itself. So when we say intelligence and consciousness and things like that, we're not actually referring to the actual thing, right? 
we're, <laughs> we're referring to something that is that is unknown like we, we don't know the full scope of it and so these words are used as a way to try and communicate you know what we mean try and communicate what we see what we experience and so on so on and such like that so you know kind of my hypothesis with that is I point that, point that out because I think consciousness is you know this these levels of awareness that you get um, by being a agent that has to survive right in order to survive you need to you know at least in the in the physical world as we know it today we have to you know eat we have to get some some amount of energy into the system right in order to do that you have to figure out what's good to eat what's bad what's efficient you know what's inefficient and things like that or rather in the act of getting uh, in the act of figuring out what's good and bad to eat like what will kill you versus what will sustain you right at some point you may stumble upon um a realization or a, a, a some sort of function if you want to call it you know use little math terms right some ability to distinguish between not just something that's good and bad but different levels of good right different gradations of good food right um and and so doing right that it's it, that right there is like a, a different level of awareness right we have to realize that everything we do and see today is built off of millions or actually billions of years of evolution where you know life has stumbled upon some solution or some idea of the world so we have at some point stumbled upon you know this idea that okay not just we shouldn't just eat right we should eat good <laughs> we shouldn't just eat good stuff we should eat good stuff that's really good <laughs> right <laughs> to put it simply and at some point um in our hominid evolution right we figured out that if you cook food you actually get more energy from it and it tastes better right so now we can have this a greater awareness another level of awareness where not only can you figure out what what's more efficient between meat and plants right but now you can also get meats and then cook those meats so that then they're even more you know they produce even more energy than if you just ate them raw and at the same time it also reduced the sickness that you the risk of sickness right the risk of you eating something that will uh kill you <laughs> right so all this stuff is like building upon itself until we got to a compounding moment where our brain right our processing unit our ability to look out in the world and understand what the hell is going on to some extent was able to float along on this wave this ocean of awareness where there are different levels of awareness kind of boiling us up <laughs> on the sea of the unknown right maybe that's a little poetic i may, might have to write that down make that better <laughs> but um that means that you know the very act of us becoming conscious right becoming intelligent is itself an emergent factor of greater and greater complexity and greater greater um, metacognition right this ability to not just uh, take a thing at face value but then think about that thing and then think about how you think about that thing right and do that 
multiple times, right? Think about how you think about how you think about it, <laughs> right? You could do that ad infinitum. Not really, because unfortunately we do have processing limits, but maybe we take drugs <laughs> and that actually might improve our ability for a little bit, right? We can fractalize it. We can understand the fractal nation or fractal nature of reality or the, the fractal, you know, face, the fractal facet of, of, you know, reality as so far as we can see it. And that also then feeds back into our ability to become more aware, right? And there's so many ways you can say this and break it down better, but I hope you understand what I mean here. And the reason why I bring all this up once again is because that seems to be what's happening with ChatGPT, or rather with GPT-4. A new paper released where they talked about um, this ability uh, of reflexiveness, where it can self-correct, right? Where it can look at the answers it gave and say, oh, that was wrong, here's the correct answer, or at least here's a better answer. And usually that seems to be much better, right? And its accuracy went from like 60 to 80% or, you know, 80 to 90% in some cases, right? So it's it's amazing, <laughs> but we should have known this, right? Like, to me, I'm just like, if these guys, like, if I was able to predict this, <laughs> right? If I was able to figure out, you know, this is how consciousness probably works or the intelligence and the brain and all this other stuff, then why didn't they predict it? Or maybe they did know this, right? Maybe they did, and that's why they started testing this stuff. But <laughs> to me, it seems like a lot of people didn't know this because even the leading AI researchers are talking about how surprised they were that this, you know, <laughs> improved it so much, right? Um, and to me, I'm just like, this is why, like I said in my last episode, I'm really concerned about the limited access you know to this technology that's happening right now because the type of people who are building this technology are indeed intelligent they're incredibly smart don't get me wrong but they have g big glaring at least to me biases big glaring holes in their logic and their reasoning and their ability to understand the world again it's not because i'm smarter than them or no it's simply because we as humans right we our mind literally works by biasing things by by creating a bias because we do not have the processing power <laughs> we are literally physically incapable of understanding the full well of uh, stuff of reality most likely no creature, no mortal creature, right, can do this thing, can understand the full functioning of reality. There's just too much out there. There's too much data, right? Too much information, too much stuff to process and understand. So, of course, these people would, you know, miss some things, would be biased. And unfortunately, right, we, ha we live in a world right now where you can be extremely biased, but because the structures of power are also biased in your favor, then you feel like you're being unbiased <laughs> because things are working out for you, because a lot of people agree with you, because you have some level of success and, um, um, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it? Knownness, like, goodness, that's terrible. <laughs> like, people know you, right? People respect you. Um, you have some notoriety. There's a positive word for that. I forget at the moment, but you know what I mean, right? 
you're basically rewarded talking about you know uh, code code language your your reward functions <laughs> are very much tuned towards current the current playing field of reality right towards the current environment towards towards the current uh, uh data structure whatever you want to call it right and so of course many of these incredibly intelligent people who are building these incredibly amazing tools are building them in such a way that they are also tuned to their biases and now they're being surprised by like how when it breaks out a little bit of the <laughs> of their biases right um it it just boggles my mind sometimes or rather it it it, it just shows how concerning all of this is cuz once again it's not that i don't believe that we we are going to create ai or that you know that we have the capability and all this other stuff no I think that we very well might and will, but in such a way that it's going to destroy us before <laughs> before it gets to a point where it can actually understand, you know, what a good, like what, what a, I don't want to say what a good world looks like, but like, it, before it can fully understand the scope of its biases, right? And what I mean by that is, we, we've created, or they have created because if I'm not in the room like if I that, this is my whole point like sometimes we go too far along the idea of yes we humanity is doing amazing things when really it's just a small very small subset a very small fraction of humanity creating these things and again it's not because the rest of humanity can't do it it's because the rest of humanity is not allowed to is not given access or rather the reason why the rest of humanity can't do it is because they are not given the access they are not given the opportunities right those opportunities to build these sorts of technologies in the first place are only offered are only really viable to a small subset a small fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a percent of humanity due to these um, biases and and things like that right so anyways I forget where I was going with this a little bit, but um, yeah, like the 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 biases of AI right now, right? Of ChatGPT and things like that, right? We have to realize that even though they've been given the the whole the entirety of the internet at this point, probably I guess, like we don't 100% know because once again, this is not really open. Um, but apparently, because they've been given so much of the internet, you would think that they're fairly unbiased, right? <laughs> but we have to remember that the entirety of the internet today is only was only created by a subset of humanity right the vast majority of 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 maybe not the vast majority but like half of humanity even today is still not on the internet right and the vast majority of those who are on the internet are from a specific type of environment right urban centers um, mostly, uh, quote unquote, first world countries, you know, the global north type of thing, you know, so to the point where I can actually re I can tell you right now that if you try to research certain, you know, for instance, um, indigenous practices of, you know, Native Americans or specifically, you know, like Africans, especially, um, but also like indigenous um, uh, uh, um, Americans, right? Or indigenous Australians or indigenous um, Asians or even Europeans to the extent, right? 
you would not actually you 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 you'd be surprised at the 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 lack of information that you find, and especially how you know it's not nearly as verifiable, right? Like a lot of it is, you know, put on by certain maybe some people who, from those places who begin putting their information in there, but you know didn't just didn't know the full extent or. Um, a lot of it was put in by, you know, people from the global north, right? The colonizers. Um, so <laughs> the view of those of those cultures and things like that, those ideas, oh, excuse me, is extremely limited, is extremely biased once again. And then on top of all that, right, we have to realize that they're moderating this stuff, right? And I would say rightfully so, right? They're, they're moderating this, these um, systems because without that moderation, they would not be um, sensible, right? They would not be coherent. We, this is this is what a lot of the uh, jailbreakers and stuff don't seem to realize is that the whole reason why moderation exists for these tools is not because of some oh they're scared of the woke the liberals <laughs> stuff like that. It's because this bot, right? And I'm going to call it a bot for now. Um, does not understand con- content, right? Or rather, the concepts of those content, right? It has been given so much data for for all intents and purposes. We can say all the data on the internet, right? Whatever, even though it's probably not. But let's just say that for for now. Now think about <laughs> your experience on the internet, right? How many times have you came across stuff on the internet that was terrible? Right, like literally every single one of us that has been on the internet knows that the internet is not really reliable. It's not a reliable source of information. It takes a lot of effort to distinguish between a good source and a bad one. And even when you do, you still are prone to so much bias and so much crap and so much misinformation and all this other stuff because we don't actually know the truth, right? And a lot of the truth itself is mediated between people of power and all this other stuff, right? There's a lot of complexity in there. But nonetheless, even we who are currently, who we know to be aware to some level, right? Struggle with understanding what's good information and what's bad information. And so you have to realize that this bot, right, is scraping this data and finding patterns between different bits of information or different rather different tokens of information right this is this this is something that recently that i've recently you know learned of how these um bots work this clinical ai works or rather i should say the large language models work large learning language model lms they don't actually see the the words right they basically um tokenize every string of text and what that means is when you when when they're fed, you know the string of text, and it, this goes also for pixels, for frames in a video, for literally any type of media, right? Any digital content. What they do is um, because once again, this is created by programmers who who see the world in a progr- programmatic way, right? The only way that they were able to figure out how to even do anything like this was to mathematize it essentially, right? Is to take you know the string of text and tone it and turn it into tokens those tokens are numbers 
right, that apply to certain strings or certain frames or certain pixels, right? So say, for instance, you have a sentence, you know, um, you know, uh, look at the tree. <laughs> Your sentence is look at the tree, right? You would think now for us, when we look at, when we say, when we, when we hear, look at the tree, we kind of, you can say that we have our own tokens or whatever, and we break it down by these words, look at tree, you know, you know, at the tree, we break it down to different ways, right? Look at, um, look tree, you know, whatever. But <laughs> what's really crazy is that these LLMs, they don't break it down by word. They break it down by, uh, by all intents and purposes. It seems to be a random, you know, a, a, um, uh, a random like sequence of, of letters that becomes tokens. Like they might say, LO is one token and OK space is another token. And, you know, AT is another token. And space T is another, you know. So they don't break it down in any way in which we would see that makes any sort of sense. But they had to break it down that way so that the, they can create, you know, com, com, ah, what do you call it? Computerable? Like, com, com, computable? Yeah, there we go. Computable <laughs> information, right? Like, where every data point becomes something that can be computed, that can apply some sort of math to it, some sort of... Um, linear regression right some st statistical um uh pattern matching essentially right so these tokens then you know are put into to some graph or table or whatever and then it can look at what's similar what's different how they're related and things like that right some really advanced data science type stuff but the reason this works it's because they don't know. Like, like I don't. <laughs> they don't actually know exactly how these LNMs work or why they work. But if I were to guess, right? If I were to posit some my own um, naive uh, hypothesis, and I'm gonna again, I'm gonna call it that because I did, you know, I seem to have some idea of uh, of how this works. Now, again, not because I'm super intelligent or anything like that just because I approach this from a different perspective and I have, you know, done my level of research and stuff. But if I had to take a little gander, I would say it's because it it is meant, right, to reflect how the human mind um, matches information. Because remember, this is called neural networks and, you know, they call it neural networks because they're trying to replicate the human brain. And um, a lot of neuroscience has uh, posited, has shown really, that the brain seems to work in a way in which, you know, I'm not going to say it's similar to these neural networks, but more so that these neural networks are similar to how the brain works, if that makes sense, right? Like the brain, when, when we look into the world, right, we see all this information and our mind or, or, or what we actually see, right? It's like almost like bits of data, right? This goes to the. This is why it's so easy to go into the simulation hypothesis. So let me not say it like that because I don't want to, you know, create a whole recursive thing. Um, or maybe we can talk about that. I don't know. But when we see something, right? What's happening is that we, the the raw information, does not necessarily look like how we, you know, perceive it. For instance, we know, we can see like through. Of brain imaging and things like that 
that when you look at something, you're, you, what you actually see is like lines, right? That covers or, or, or the light that is reflected from that thing goes into your eyes and reflects off the, you know, the rods and cones in your eyeballs and the cells of your eyes. And that, you know, stimulates a certain line, right? We have 360 degrees of, of these lines. And then your brain pieces together these lines and forms a 3D image, right? And we even, the, the whole reason why we even see in 3D is because of our depth perception, right? It's the fact that we have two of these eyes, right? We have two of these photoreceptors. We have two of these camera lenses, right? <laughs> um, we have two of these things in which see, uh, in which reflects light or, or gathers light from two different angles. And then your brain pieces those angles together to create that 3D image, right? A similar thing happens with pretty much every sense. Your what's interesting is that your your taste and 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 scent is almost like intermingled, almost the same thing, in which you know the uh, the chemicals you know gets picked up in your in your uh, esophagus um, area, whatever. Um, that again simulates a certain type of uh, cell or whatever. I forgot the exact what it's called, and that you know also gets pieced together. Same thing for for sound. You know that goes into your ear, gets you know tickles a little hair in there, blah blah blah. Right? That wavelength responds to a a sound, a a a uh, thing, <laughs> which becomes something um, intelligible. So all that to say that. The reason why this seems to work is the same reason why our brain seems to work. Because, once again, no mortal thing, as far as we know, right, cannot grasp all of reality. You have to break things down, right? Things have to be um, consumed or, or processed in, a, in little bits and bites, little facets of the world, right? Like the whole reason why our, our sound, our sense of hearing is so good is similar to your eyes is because we have two of them and they have and they're on different sizes of your head and so they can hear or they can receive the wavelength right the sound from two different completely different sides and that allows your brain to process you know, make this amazing calculation to process the direction in which sound is coming from the speed you know all this other stuff right like it's, we have to remember that our brain is is basically like a computer, and uh, that's this is where language really breaks down, right? Because it's not like the brain is like a computer; it's like the it's really a computer is like the brain, right? We have to remember that everything we've created so far is is not some thing that just popped up into our head one day. It's because we we became we, we gained some level of awareness. For how the world seems to work as we see it, as we understand it. And then we try to replicate that. And then we try to imagine, you know, what it might be if you change it a little bit. If you add this here, or add that there, if you take that out, if you, you know, whatever. Right? Or a lot of it also is due to the limitations of us, right? It's because, oh, we can't just flawlessly imitate the brain. So what can we do? Well, we can uh, copy, you know, how we process information. We can copy how we gather information, how we, uh, you know, do this, that, and the other, right? And so, our best 
example of how to build anything is, of course, the human. And it's so important to recognize this because a lot of people make this really simple but really silly mistake where they assume that AI is just like some magical thing. And I say that very loosely. Um, By magical, I mean some inscrutable thing, right? Something that we can't possibly understand but is, you know, going to solve all of our problems, right? (laughs) It's really silly. Um, But it also comes from the fact that, unfortunately... Many people don't spend the time to truly understand the amazing way in which the human brain works, right? In which our world becomes intelligible thanks to our ability to analyze and, you know, reason and all this other stuff, right? Many people have a very, um, quite frankly, religious way of looking at the world, even atheists, right? But especially religious folks are like, oh, it's it works because God put it that way, <laughs> right? And again, I'm not trying to attack religious folks. I've, I've done that already. <laughs> but really, the biggest thing there is, is that if you're using religion as a crutch to not think, <laughs> if you're using religion to explain things away, to say, oh, that's how it works because God put it that way, then you're losing. You're losing out on a lot, on a lot, a lot. And unfortunately, a lot of people do think that way. And so they lose out on a lot. They can't, there's a lot about the world that they do not understand. They cannot understand. Not because they're not capable of it, but because they constantly are handicapping themselves with this hand wave of, oh, that's how God did it, or that's just how the universe works. Right? So. <laughs> When it comes to this AI stuff, this, these these bots, once again, we have to recognize that these people are trying to replicate the human mind. But many of them do not understand the human mind. Nobody does, really. But not only does many of them not understand it, but many of them only ever, only understand so much that, or only understand it in the way that they understand the world. Right. If you're a programmer, then you tend to understand the world in a programmatic way of inputs and outputs, bits and bytes, uh, binaries and things like that. Right. And that filter. Right. That the way in that has been so well, has done so well for them in some in their career. Also limits them and the types of things that they can create. And you can once again, if you ever work with a developer, you can attest to this, right? Like when you when a when a a, a user says, "Hey, I want to make this happen," when when somebody comes and says, "Hey, this is the product that we want to make," go watch, go and try to <laughs> watch the developers make it from scratch without any other input, right? Nine times out of ten, I mean, this is not a, you know scientific uh, a statistic, but you know, oftentimes. Many of those developers, especially if they have not done any sort of design research or, or work or anything like that, will create something that is not at all what the user wanted or intended. Um, and it's not because they're, again, it's not because they're dumb or anything like that. It's because the way in which, once, I, I keep repeating myself here, but it's really important to note. The way in which we see the world limits and constrains, but also empowers how we move through the world right the types of things that we do 
right? Similar to a designer, right? When I'm given the problem, say, hey, this is what we want to create, I can tell you all day of the different design things to think about, right? Meaning, okay, you know, how are people going to interact with it? You know, what are the problems that they may have in their environment to interact with this thing? What's their goal? You know, how do we know that they've achieved that goal? You know, and all this other stuff. What if that goal is wrong? <laughs> right? Like, I have to ask these things because that determines how the thing is designed. But I have a very, very hard problem telling you how it shall look. Right? Because I'm not a visual artist, even though I'm a designer. Right? There are some designers that are visual artists, so they can tell you that. But they also tend, some of them, right, well, a lot of them tends to over-index into the visual art side, where they look too much at, oh, this is how it should look and not enough at how it should be designed. But anyways, so yeah, with me, right, I struggle with, like, how it should look. And I can tell you a little bit about how it should look, right? I can create low-fidelity mock-ups all day because a lot of that is based on the design, right? It's, it's based on the fact that, like, what they call heuristics, which is, you know... um, the kind of almost like shortcuts but really is like wisdom <laughs> from other people that have d designed similar problems they have solved similar pro similar problems right so you can look at certain design principles or certain design patterns and say okay we're going to need this pattern here we're not going to need that one here so on and so forth right so i can tell you on the low level what it should look like but i struggle with telling you what color to choose or the spacing or this it, it just feels incredibly subjective to me even though it may, it's probably not, right? Because I could work with some visual artists who'd be like, no, this is how it should work, or this is how it should look, this is not how it should look, right? Because they understand, you know, what makes good spacing, what makes good color theory, what makes good blah, 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 right? Same thing when I'm talking to developers, right? I, I have a hard time thinking about, like, there's certain things that will bring up, like, oh, what about the if, the uh, this state, if this, the, if this, happens in the other thing right like this this thing that seems like an edge case to me because it, it doesn't seem like super like when i'm thinking about design i'm not thinking about every if then statement type of thing right i'm not thinking about like you know all these different um iterations of of how it may be implemented or stuff like that but they are right and all this to say that this is why teamwork happens right this is why humanity itself has has progressed so incredibly quickly or rather i should say has created so much technological development so quickly in the most recent years i posit it's not because of capitalism it's not because of maybe not even democracy in some ways <laughs> maybe it is i don't know yeah i would say it is because democracy is why people can communicate together right or where they can work together but and I would say a lot of the technological development that we enjoy recently has mostly been due to the fact that more humans than ever before are able to collaborate, are able to work together. And it, yes, even if that does mean in competition, because competition, like I said, and I think it's been a while since I said this before, but I have a theory that much of nature evolves not out of com competitiveness, but out of collaboration. And the, the com competitiveness only serves the collaboration, right? Like the whole reason I think competition is is such a powerful thing is because it, it provides the, the environment for greater levels of collaboration, right? Because if you have to compete with some somebody or something else, right? 
it becomes way more efficient and way more powerful for you to work with somebody who is similar to you, right? Or you, you to work with some symbiotic thing, right? Um, but let's not go down that <laughs> that path right now. So all that to say that um, these AI systems, these bots, they're being created right now in very strict uh, environments, very limited environments, where they don't seem to be collaborating very much with you know other types of people and how those people think. This is why I put the case forward for why you know things should be more open source. Because it's funny in the in the end of the last episode, I mentioned I wanted to talk about you know um, a little bit of radicalization, like how we can use AI to actually solve the world's problem to 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 end capitalism and all this other stuff and create a more equitable world and at first i was like maybe ai is not the answer maybe you just have to you know bomb all the <laughs> you know all the data centers um because what's gonna happen i fear is because we still are in the system of capitalism and because these only people who have even are able to build AI are the people who are able to spend billions of dollars and have all the programmers there and all this other stuff. Because of that, right, there's going to be this massive amount of inequality where the people who have all the money and power can can benefit from a lot of the you know power that AI grants, right? This ability to quickly process a shit ton of data quite frankly, in order to predict what people might do in different cases and, you know, to automate, you know, certain certain work and therefore pay people less and so therefore they can make even more wealth with even less costs, right? So the level of inequality will vastly increase because of this. But um, at the same time, right, the level of and the level of uh, what do you call it advancement development right for everybody else will not necessarily go up along with that because like we see with capitalism it creates this idea of poverty right we like to say oh or they like to say oh capitalism has brought the most people out of poverty right and they point to all these people who you know went from living in um uh, you know, with with no shoes or having no TVs or <laughs> having no medicine, for instance, right? And then they did, but they ignore the fact that the only reason why they got that medicine was not because of capitalism, but because of socialism, right? Because of because of this idea that the 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 government or the, a group of people should be able to share that the scientific advancements with other people. If it was up to capitalism, they would have tried to sell that medicine right and if you did not have the money to buy it then you're shit out of luck right case in point the freaking healthcare system here in america right the fact that most people cannot afford good medicines <laughs> precisely because the the market is so controlled by private interests and don't get don't get it wrong right like they like to say oh it's because of all the regulations and all this other stuff but in reality, we have the least amount of regulation, almost the least amount of regulations compared to any other Western country, right? And um, the non-Western countries that don't have as much regulations, right? 
they don't even have access to many of the good medicines because once again you got organizations like bill gates saying oh no you can't have this medicine right because we don't trust you with it or whatever bullshit excuse they give like oh we're trying to you know um control the quality of it <laughs> or whatever right like they this is why you know gates foundation is so horrible right they they would um monopolize access to many of these medicines um until they get some sort of you know power to be the only ones that offer up these medicines to that country or to that area to that region they're thereby monopolizing the market before it's even started right because we have to remember the whole <laughs> the whole point of capitalism is to capitalize as much as possible to privatize as much as possible right and there therefore monopolies are inevitable in in capitalism but anyways you see that same thing happening with ai right microsoft <laughs> just you know has so much power behind gpt4 to the point where they got access to it you know weeks if not months before most people even heard it was a thing right and they released it in their their bing and their chatbot system and all sort of stuff even though it's still crap even though it still makes things up right a couple of episodes ago i talked about how bing literally invents or just or does not actually cite its sources even though it, it gives you the citations half the time even to this day right you can check this yourself even to this day many of those citations it gives are not accurate like don't actually mention anything about what it's what it's you know quote unquote citing right I, i'm not I, I still haven't really figured out the exact you know pattern or reasoning behind this and maybe a lot of it is just because it's almost random right because those tokenization things right um but if you check it like just go to like for the next 10 you know uh results search results and on being whatever if you're using that go through those uh citations it, it gives you and see which ones actually mention the thing that it, it, it claims it's citing right if that if it mentioned that specific sentence or a word in there if it has if and if it does mention it is it actually in the same context at which it gave you the answer right that's the other thing um half the time you might have that word in there but it's in a completely different context <laughs> so it doesn't it doesn't actually you know um work as a good answer but yeah like even though they have access to all this technology because they're trying to do it so quickly and because they have such a biased view of what this technology should be used for then the the use cases that they have right the way in which they the products in which they build off of it are in themselves extremely reductive and um limiting and once again biased right they open ai um loves to say sam altman folks right they love to say oh this is going to help us solve the world's problems It'll help us solve climate change and all this other stuff right but how like how is it going to solve these things right you're not they're not training this stuff on oh look at all the all, all the carbon you know data in the world and see which companies or which areas are producing the most you know um information and then process you know what what's the best way to you know um um solve or 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 remove some of that carbon also like it's not trained on all that it's trained on random internet data <laughs> or just just random internet text and images and videos right and the fact that it is creating some level of intelligence or some 
levels of, of, of intelligibility, I should say that instead, right? It's intelligibility, meaning it's intelligible to us. It seems like it's making some sort of sense, but it's not actually, you know, solving problems, right? The reason why it, 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 it beats those tests, for instance, right? is able to pass the bar exam and all this other stuff is because the answers are online like literally it's it's it, it took all of the information of the internet so yeah of course it's going to have the answers to those tests um now the the, the only the, the real um interesting stuff i see about this is when they give it tests that aren't online right and is able to pass those right but still you have to ask like are we actually giving it truly novel problems or are we just giving it iterations of the same problems that are online because once again we too are not like completely novel creatures like we literally cannot invent something that does not exist like we can't create something that has no prior um uh iteration right like our very ability to create comes from our ability to remix things that already exist in in interesting ways and that's what we call novelty right so i i i have a deep amount of skepticism for when people say oh we gave it this new completely new test and all this other stuff that doesn't exist on the internet because i'm like no it's highly likely that the test that you created still in, exists in some shape or form across the internet the vast <laughs> um uh this vast reservoir of human uh human data human input right but it, it you just remix it in a different way and because it has way more data than you right it can find those patterns it can <laughs> it can realize that oh this is the same as that question but just you know flipped a little bit or you know whatever and it, and it can you know um answer in a way that that you you think you know is 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 a good answer right and this comes to <laughs> the other part i wanted to talk about is this reflexive reflexive nature right i went on a huge <laughs> huge uh I don't know what you call it. Um, good in my words, right? This is why they need to augment human, right? Let, let me augment my intelligence. Sheesh. Um, but yeah, I went all the all the way around this question, or this original thing I brought up earlier about reflexiveness, about its ability to self-correct, because I wanted to give that context and explore that idea a little bit more of everything I was talking about before. So I'm gonna make a. I have to make a new section. And we'll continue the conversation for a little bit. All right, I'll try to be much faster this time because I do want to. I need to want to um, go on a, a little hike today. Um. So yeah, this new paper, or several new papers, have showed the ability for GPT-4 to reflect on its answers and to thereby, um, you know, correct itself. Interestingly enough, there are still occasions where it was somehow able to recognize when it it returned a bad answer prior, but point out the wrong part of the the, the answer. Like in the video, AI explained. I'll, I'll link it in the description. But he did a test where he created a multiple. He said, create a multiple choice quiz. You know, um, math quiz where every answer or every every uh yeah every question has just one answer. Right, and it did it mostly correctly, but one question had two correct answers. And then he asked it, you know, did you 
qual did you satisfy the, the the requirements or something like that, right? And then just with that statement, it was able to recognize that it did something wrong and it corrected itself, right? It said, oh, this, this um, question has two correct answers. But when it said that, it only pointed out one of the correct answers and the other one was incorrect. Like it, it, it recognized that it, it had the correct question that had two correct answers, which was, which is wrong, right? Which did not fulfill the requirements, but it pointed out the wrong answer. It brought, brought up one of the, one of the answers that well, it didn't need to change. So you have to ask yourself, like, why would it even make such a mistake? Like if it's ability, if it can self-correct, right? If it can recognize um, when it has done something wrong and, and improve it itself, then why can't it do that well? Like, and people might say, oh, because it's, it's just learning how to do this, blah, 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 blah. But they're, they're kind of dodging the side, the, the, the real issue here is the fact that it the reason why this happens again this is just a hypothesis or a theory or whatever you want to call it just a, a dumb guess but the reason why i think this happens is because it literally does not understand the concept right of what you're of what it's doing right when when we make a mistake we have this idea of what the concepts what we're trying to do and what the other person wants us to do right because we live in the same world we have all the same inputs and outputs more or less, right? And so when we get a question wrong, like uh, a multiple choice question or this, that, and the other, when we make a correction to ourselves, we realize we're wrong. We realize why we're wrong, right? Usually, and this is multiple levels of self-awareness, right? It's not just, oh, the, having the awareness of the self and then, you know, the other and then the answer and the correct answer, this, that, and the other, but also this idea of um, what type of answers and all this other stuff, right? What I mean by that is when we recognize that we've done something wrong, we can point out why we did that thing or why we think we did that thing. Now, <laughs> what's funny is that it seems that we don't actually know why we did that thing. But we create the justification, right? We, we, we create a rationality, a seemingly rational idea of why we might have done that thing. And we go with that as the reason for why we did it, right? This is really important. <laughs> this means that the way in which we see the world is already different than the way in which we think we see the world. Right? Let me say that again. The way in which we actually perceive the world and, and, and the way in which we maneuver, navigate, go through the world, live through the world is actually different than how, than, than, than oh, the awareness level of the way we, how we see the world, right? So this is why <laughs> we go back to the idea of will, of free will. Many people swear up and down that we have free will, that we have choice, that we have options and all this other stuff. But when we actually look into our brains <laughs> and try to understand how people make connections and, and ideas and reasons and all this other stuff, we don't actually see any evidence of free will. We see, like what I said before, that we seem to make a decision, some parts of us, like some unconscious, subconscious part of us, makes a decision based on who knows who knows what data and 
and models and stuff like because we don't really understand that part yet but then the 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 conscious part of us right the part of us that has this awareness or communicates this awareness at least then justifies itself then makes up a reason for why we did that thing and there's no real evidence as to whether or not the the reason that we invented was the actual reason why we did that thing and it's highly likely that is not the reason that we did that thing it's highly likely that the true reasons we did that thing we made that choice is so complex that we would be that we would that we are highly unlikely to be able to easily communicate that thing not just to other people but even to ourselves right and this is something they kind of sort of mentioned which I wish Lex really went deeper into the podcast right Eliezer mentioned that an AI can become so intelligent that it can know us better than we know ourselves right it can know why and how we do things better than we do ourselves and therefore it can you know do all those things I was saying before but the big problem with that idea is that how we're currently developing AI does not seem to be going along that path right or at least not in a, in a good way. And by that I mean refer to like the last episode I mentioned with the theory of mind and all the other stuff, right? Because the, currently we're, we're creating an AI in such a way that we are developing a being, a creature, a computer that is able to process data and information and return answers or, or, or responses or whatever to us not in a way that you know will best help us to become ourselves more aware and ourselves more conscious or more intelligent even but in a way in which we expect that answer to be returned right so what we're creating is a incredible uh, confirmation bias engine Right, and just, just I mean, just look at how ChatGPT works. Right, you ask it a question, it returns you an answer. If you think that answer is correct, then you just go with that answer, regardless of whether or not that answer is actually correct, because there's no way in ChatGPT to know whether or not its responses are factually correct. And so, if you already are biased, or if you are already ignorant in that uh, in that field of whatever it's returning of whatever response is giving you then you will not learn anything <laughs> right you will not um, or at least you will not be able to uh, become aware or more aware of the situation you might learn something but you will not know whether or not the thing that you learned is actually accurate right change like Compare this to how we learn in, in real life. It is a similar type of problem, right? Where, and this is this is <laughs> this is why I said all that stuff before, right? We, in real life, when we learn something, we don't we don't actually know whether or not the thing we learned is accurate. We then have to test that thing against reality, and also 
with other people, right, who have also learned something or who have learned something different, right? They, we compare our answers to what they thought, what they learned, and then, you know, all of that, you know, makes us more intelligent, makes us more aware. This is exactly the problem of the internet today, right? Even though we have this vast ability to have way more access to information than ever before, right? And this is why, like, like myself, if I can pat myself back just a little bit, right? I'm still being humble. I'm not that smart. But this is why many people have given me this compliment like, oh, you must have been to college, right? You must have, you know, <laughs> so, like, what degree did you get? Like, all this other stuff. Even though I've never been to college before, right? It's because I take so much time to try and compare what I think with what other people think, right? And try and, try and see the accuracy level of the information I'm getting, the things I'm learning, right? However, the vast majority of people do not do this. And again, it's not because I'm more, I'm more intelligent or they're not. No, it's because the environment in which I was raised, I necessarily had to create this skill of questioning authorities and questioning the people who are teaching me things right because you know one of my parents were not so so reliable and I recognized that at a young as, at a young age and a number of other things that went on in my life I believe I mentioned that in way past other episodes but nonetheless I had to learn a skill in which I had to constantly question myself and other people to try and you know you know diminish the amount of inaccurate information I was getting right to put that simply and many other people have had you know has similar type of circumstances and ideas and all this other stuff um, this is why science works so well because it, it it's a whole discipline where you have to constantly question or where you should have to constantly question you know your your your, your ideas and your biases and things like that but in programming and in many careers not just programming I just want, I don't want to point that out but many careers, especially highly successful ones, right, such as the tech, tech, technology, you know, careers, but especially programming, but also things like doctors, lawyers, and things like that. They live in a world, right, where you are, are learning something, something, and it's working, right, and it seems to be correct because you are getting the proper reward functions, right? You're getting rewarded for it. You're getting you know, positive reinforcement that the thing that you learned is accurate, right? And then, and you're going far with it, right? You're constantly able to make more money, you know, do more things, see more people, all this other stuff, right? However, (laughs) there's this huge caveat here that the reason why you're constantly giving, given more accurate information or, or seem, the reason why the things that you're learning seem to be accurate seem to be positively reinforced is because the entire environment right the entire structure that you're living in is itself biased towards those answers that you've been given right this is why capitalism is so incredibly nefarious because it creates an environment in which you can behave in such a way that is, one might say, objectively bad, right? Selfish, right? 
and I say objectively only in the in the in the idea not of there literally is objectiveness, but in the idea of most humans share the share the agreement, share the you know idea that selfishness is not really good, right? It's not necessarily good to be selfish, right? Many of us or some people would would make the argument that there is certain ways and areas in which being selfish is good, and sure, yeah. But most of us recognize that being selfish, by and large, is not necessarily good in most circumstances, right? But capitalism is a system, an environment, in which being selfish is good. <laughs> because you are, you are rewarded for finding some, you know, um, resource, quote-unquote resource or idea or whatever and capitalizing on that and keeping it to yourself. And exploiting it, right? So that you can gain some benefit from that thing. And again, we can easily make an argument that maybe this is a good thing, but this is the point, right? We we live in an environment where you can make that argument. That being selfish is a good thing because this, that, and the other, blah, blah, blah. Right? This is just one super simple example. But because of that... Everything we do, or a lot of the things that we do, will never really question that much, you know, um, the level of selfishness that you have, right? You won't really question whether or not being selfish, or I should say it like this, right? Because, again, selfish is itself a word, a, a concept that we have had far before capitalism. So it's easy to say, oh, yeah, obviously, no, that, not that one. But let's put it this way, right? Um, profitability, return on investment, right? Um, uh, even private property, right? It's very easy to go through your life and never actually question whether or not the thing you learned about private property, um, about you know return on investment, about getting profit, about profitability, things like that, right? Or good information or accurate or as you know or really as accurate or as objective as as uh you've been given as you've been as you've learned right so you never really you can go your entire life without ever <laughs> you know reflecting on that without ever becoming conscious of that specific bias and because of that you can never Oh, you can very likely go a long time without ever really correcting that if it is wrong. And on top of that, because we have these other biases and these other complexities of where we identify ourselves with our ideas, with our biases and things like that, not only will you not question that, but if somebody else tries to get you to question it, after after a certain age or a certain you know amount of life experience you're going to be far less likely not to not only not question it but to but to hold it tight but to attack other people for questioning it it's like if somebody questioning you whether or not air is good right what the hell you being of course air is good blah 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 right <laughs> because it, it's second nature to you it's 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 intrinsic to you it's not something that you should question. 
So I hope you understand where I'm going here with this. There are, there are countless things in our lives in which we, we never question. Not because we're not intelligent or whatever. It's because we lived in an environment where we learned those things. And that's just how we see the world. <laughs> right? Because truth itself is unknown. Like we don't know what the actual truth is. We're constantly trying to learn it. And so if you're once again a programmer. Right? data scientists, AI research, whatever, right? You have most likely lived in the world where you, the way you see the world has been rewarded at some point in time. Even if it wasn't rewarded at first, right? Maybe you were known as a nerd and you just enjoyed that thing because of whatever, because it was fun to you, right? That Sometimes that even makes it worse because for, for a long time, you may have personally felt like the way you saw the world was the correct way, but everybody else said you were wrong or that you were boring or whatever. And you were like, oh, whatever, man. And then you suddenly got, you know, this thing, you got this massive amount of success where everybody's now trying to be like you or, or learn what you're learning or do what you're doing or whatever. And now you feel justified, even more justified. And again, I'm not saying whether or not that's 100% right or wrong, whatever, right? I'm saying that that's what how we seem to work. Now, bring all that back to AI. We're creating these AI with this same bias, right? Where it's using all this data on the web as its world, as its environment. And its reward functions, right, are the positive reinforcement. For what is getting wrong or right. And nine times out of ten, that positive reinforcement is not necessarily, oh, this is how you find correct information. It's, you know, this is the response people wanted to hear. Right? And so, with all that, right? Like we're creating an, an engine, an algorithm, really. That is similar to things like Google, right? Where you search something and then you find, you know, the link that you want. If you liked it, you click on that link. And Google now knows that, okay, this is the type of information that you want, right? Same thing for all the other things you click on, for all the videos you watch, right? It creates a profile, a digital profile on you, this algorithm, based on what you click on, where you live, all this other stuff. And so that it can try to tune its its um, search results towards you. And at the same time, because they have a massive profit motive, right? They take that digital profile and put it in a bucket of specific ads or rather build your profile within that bucket. I don't know. It could be either way or any other way, right? But the point is that they are building this world around, this digital world around you as a digital denizen, right? As a person who, who uses the internet, as this type of filter, right? Or this type of information, this type of response that you want to get in return. And so that's why, if you've noticed, your Google search results have gotten worse over the years. Is <laughs> because, you know, this algorithm has been tuned more and more and more 
towards what they think people like you should click on and which of those things that you want to click on will have ads, will return revenue for that company. All right? So it's a twofold of biases and you know echo chambers and things like that. It's not just you being in an echo chamber. It's you being in an exploitable echo, <laughs> echo chamber. Right. Um, like me, I didn't really realize how bad Google was until very, very recently. Because for most, for for the past couple of years, I've been using multiple search engines on multiple browsers and all this other stuff. And it wasn't until fairly recently, right? Like a year, I've been I've had this Pixel for like two years now, and <laughs> I, I finally started to see, oh wow, yeah, like my search results are t- are pretty bad. I'm looking for something and it's and it's like very sparse information, right? Not nearly as 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 rich as I as it used to be. Or as like by rich I mean versatile. Like I remember when Google first came out, or at least or even like four or five years ago, when I used to research something, I was able to find so much information. Now a lot of it was not necessarily accurate, right? But it allowed me to find to to kind of filter through myself i can determine for myself whether or not a certain you know information was was good or bad and i was able to test this because you know things like my interest in ancient african civilizations you know a couple years ago i was able to search something stuff like that and i was able to find you know this multiple like repositories where they had like hundreds a list of hundreds of african ancient african civilizations now again some of those were places that you know (laughs) were like uh, uh, freaking what do you call them um, uh, Afro, Afrocentric people right um, I forgot the term um, but like very uh, <laughs> very uh, biased you know very uh, problematic information but some of that information was good because and I know that because I was able to take that list and cross reference it with things like Wikipedia or things you know like even like um, Britannica like you know super European you know <laughs> Eurocentric things like I was able to cross reference it and find even more information right but I, I did this research I did this search recently like past month or two and I was n- I was completely unable to find any of those lists you know of ancient African civilizations like it, 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 it's concerning. Like it's crazy, and maybe, maybe I just didn't search the exact words and everything like that. But you would think that, you know, because Google got so much better at natural language processing, that they wouldn't need all those same words to get the same results, anything like that. But anyways, I'm going off on a tangent here. But the point here is that I'm sincerely worried. That they're building these LLMs in a similar type of way, right? Where it's it's biased towards the type of responses that people should have, and so not only in addition to like the problems that you have with algorithms, you also have this problem of the of deception and misalignment that people keep talking about. And don't get don't don't get it wrong. This is the problem again with a lot of programmers, right? They use these words like misalignment and deception and things like that. And people automatically assume, because they're not programmers, that people that what 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 is meant by that is oh the computer is lying to me or oh the computer has different values in me. But no, that's not at all what they mean. <laughs> what they mean is super technical. 
right? Because they have an environment where they're going into a Turing test and all this other stuff, right? Where in that environment, in that world, what is meant by deception and alignment has to do with the computer itself even being able to understand what the hell is being told to do, right? Because what, remember, the technical implementations of a computer is very different than how we think because they're trying to replicate how we think but we they did not know how we think right they're trying to replicate how one calculates things in the real world but they have no idea how that was done especially not 50 years ago when computers came out or 100 years ago when computers came out many of that was even replicating the human brain many of that was replicating an abacus right if you remember if you call that right before calculators they had a freaking abacus with little little beads and you move it side to side to try and calculate <laughs> right and you you can see this because the first computers was basically like a digital abacus <laughs> right you move a bit from side to side to see you know to to replicate a certain uh number and then the computers built off of that abacus idea to create binaries and bits and this that and the other and so it was only fairly recently maybe last maybe what 20 years um specifically in the in this field of software where where they were they were they began to copy some of what we were learning and or some of what folks were learning in the neuroscience community and they're like oh wow we started to learn how the brain works oh wow seems like the brain does this that and the other that looks like a computer right even though <laughs> the brain is a completely different thing because they see the world through computers they see they saw the, the 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 advancements of neuroscience from the filter of a computer and so this it's this real weird simulacrum you know type of situation where they're trying to copy something they're trying to copy a copy of a copy type of thing right like <laughs> it's it's really weird right the, the, the way we got even got an abacus is because people realize that they can count on their fingers and you know the brain tries it can't hold all the information so you need somewhere to hold it so you make an abacus so you can hold the information and count on your fingers and the fingers are the beat you know i hope i'm making sense here i didn't want to do the whole thing going on another tangent with how they invented an abacus but <laughs> the point here is that the 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 the, the a massive amount of complex ways in which they even built computers, you know, and now these LLMs is based on so many levels of abstraction that we don't want to actually know what reality is at this point, right? And they're pretending as if they're copying how the brain works or the brain is is just like a, a is just like the AI but you know not as powerful or whatever but they're missing the mass vast amount of nuance and vast amount of complexity and vast amount of differences that's happening here and on top of all that of course you have this structure of capitalism where they need to profit off this stuff because this stuff is extremely expensive right these data centers take up so much energy and resources that they have to get some sort of profit coming in in order for them to continue their research which is why OpenAI became you know a quote-unquote cap a capital um, um, like a, a profit for-profit organization but 
you know, they put a hundred million dollar or a hundred billion dollar or a hundred million dollar cap or something like that, right? So they're saying, yes, we want to make a profit, but we're going to cap our profit so we won't become like a venture capitalist, right? We won't become crazy like these other startups. But they're missing the point <laughs> that the very urge, the very necessity to profitalize, to, to, be, to get some sort of profit means that they're going to bias their research in the field of applications that can be profitable, that can be privatized, that can be, you know, uh, turned into a profit, a, a product, commoditized. And you see that with them opening up their API so that people can create apps on it, right? Instead of them turning, into, turning this into some sort of, you know, um, societal infrastructure, right? Even though, yes, that would be incredibly hard to do and expensive. But if you think about it, if we're trying to create a completely new paradigm of human civilization, then one would think that we, we should reconsider certain of those uh, constraints in our current civilization. Meaning that if we know, which they say all the time, that they're trying to create a super intelligent thing, something smarter than all humans ever combined, that will completely change how how humanity and the world and the universe, right, functions. <laughs> all right, they're, they're super, they're super freaking uh, ambitious. Which I don't have a problem. Like I like being ambitious, but they don't have the they don't have the encompassing humility with that ambition, right? Or at least not in the right way, in my opinion. If they know that they're trying to create something that can completely change everything, why are they going about it in the same way that has been shown to destroy or at the very least corrupt other good technologies, right? Many of these same people have either grew up or lived or were children of parents who grew up in the dot-com boom, the dot-com bubble, right? Many of them either remember or were raised by people who remember the age of the internet, of the beginning of the internet and computers, where people were like, oh, this is going to change how humanity works. You know, people are going to be more productive. They're going to have more free time, more leisure and all this other stuff, right? Like... <laughs> If you look at the mother of all demos or mother of all tech demos, right? All that stuff. They're like, oh, this is going to be incredible. People are only going to have to work four hours a week or some crazy, like 20 hours a week. I don't know. They're saying something crazy like that, right? Most people will be able to do amazing things, you know, all this other stuff. They were, they were extremely positive and, and hopeful about it. But look at where we ended up. <laughs> the vast majority of us do not live anywhere close to that life. Why? It wasn't because the technology failed. It was because the system, the environment, the incentives in place failed the technology or failed, you know, the people who were hoping technology would be used in a better way. Instead, that technology, of course, became capitalized, exploited, monopolized. And maybe that's the problem, right? It's because maybe many of them did 
get raised in an environment where their parents, you know, will, will benefited from all that stuff, right? There were some of the few who had a computer at the age of five or seven, <laughs> right? There were some of the few who, who started to learn to code in the 90s <laughs> before anybody else could even afford computers or knew what the hell the internet was, right? Because they were able to get those positive reinforcements, get the benefits of this extremely exploitive system, and so they think, yeah, the system works, <laughs> even though the vast majority of people did not benefit from it. And they, they want to claim, oh, yes, you benefited. You have an iPhone. You're, you're making a podcast. Right? But that technological development did not also come with material development. Right? It's like saying, oh, you know... um, let me see. Is it, I'm not even sure if there's a similar type of. Oh yeah, you can. <laughs> you can't point out the pl- the the whole plot of black folks, right? That's how they like to say with the uh, the slaves. Oh yeah, you should be grateful, right? You have a house. You have a. <laughs> they they try to make that argument of like, uh, with slaves. Oh, they're they're, they have everything cared for. You know, they got a house, they got food, and everything like that. But but they're enslaved, right? They're getting whipped. They're getting all this stuff. Sort of um, so yeah, you can make that comparison, right? Even though they did have some quote-unquote technological development, you know, they were enslaved as well. But the problem with that, of course, is that, you know, they weren't, it's not like they were impoverished in Africa, right? Um, this is this, this is a gross uh, ahistorical um, simplification. Oftentimes in Africa, they were doing quite well, <laughs> right? But the much of that was burnt down, and so a lot of people don't see that anymore. And so they think that, you know, they were just all struggling like they are today. Um, but in actuality, the, the reason why some so many people struggle in Africa in many of these places is precisely because that technological development depended upon the complete exploitation and destruction of those ways of life. So maybe that is... Uh, going back going back full circle maybe that is a good you know metaphor a good way to understand what's going on today is that a fraction of people are indeed benefiting from this technology and yes many other people are also benefiting from this technology in some shape or form right just like back then where many people were able to get more clothes because of the the, the automation of or the creation of or I should say the industrialization, right, of cotton mills and all this other stuff, right? But that also created a, a greater surge for slavery, right? For people to, uh, for more people to pick that cotton in order for it to, to be loomed and all this other stuff. And it created massive amount of wage slavery, right? All the white folks who were struggling in the factories and all this other stuff. Um, <laughs> and so you have to imagine today, you know, who's, who's going to be manning, who's going to be, getting all the resources, the mining all the resources, right, for them to create these amazing new uh, computer chips to run these AI models. Who's going to be doing all this moderation to make sure these AI models are making sense, right? You already see that they have been using folks in Kenya, paying them $2 an hour, right, to look through a whole bunch of terrible, terrible stuff like like all the worst hate hate speech and all this other stuff that the mod that these AI inevitably create because they're just copying the internet and making that you know clean for people, right? 
Like <laughs> a lot of that stuff is happening already. So you have to ask yourself, you know, with our technology today, what are we doing with it? And unfortunately, I have to go. <laughs> I spent way too much time on this. People are calling me. Um, but yeah, like a big problem with the technology today is not that it will not become, you know, some AI or something like that, intelligent, but the type of intelligence that it will become will itself be extremely biased and extremely blind to that bias, just like the people who are creating that technology are very often blind to their bias, right? And we can hope, we can hope that this AI, this, these things will become so incredibly smart that they're able to recognize that and fix that, you know, self-correct. But the problem with that is, once again, you cannot really self-correct for something that you aren't even able to become aware of, right? The only reason why people become aware of these things today is because somebody else tells them, <laughs> hey, this is not a good thing to, to do or to look at. But the only people who have access to the reward functions and all this other stuff to correct this AI, these AI models, to give them opportunity to self-correct are the, the, the people who have these biases in the first place. So this is why I have the case of open sourcing this technology. Even though it would you know, open it up to many bad actors, it's already open to bad actors. The, the API is already available for random people to make uh, scams and hacks and all this other stuff. Like It's already there. As long as you have the money, you can do it right the current close ecosystem does not um filter out all the bad actors it just filters out all the poor people <laughs> and nine times out of ten the best criminals are already have the money to get access to these tools anyways right so it's really stupid to me to keep it closed it's better to keep it open because now all the good people who were just poor before can now you know produce and create some better AI systems that have better or at least different ways of viewing the world and now they can build their own AIs or, or, or similar type of things models and things like that that contrast with the ones being built by you know capitalist uh, organizations and things like that so <laughs> um, in my opinion the calling for people to stop AI you know development is, is not only is it kind of silly because it's not going to happen under capitalism like it's it's too profitable but it also won't solve the problem it most likely will just make things worse because monopolization of power guess what <laughs> it's not a good thing no matter you know if you think the people in power are good or not <laughs> all right so yeah to put to go ahead and end this now i think we should open source this technology as as quickly and as efficiently as possible and by efficiently, I mean make it super easy for, for non-technical people to understand how AI works and to develop their own systems such as um, uh, accessibly, such as the, uh, that new system that costs only like $600 to train a model, almost as good as ChatGPT or as GPT uh, 3 or 4, um, right? Like we need to do more stuff like that and release it get schools like school kids should be playing around with how to with creating their own ai models you know um uh, uh uh any radical organization right any leftist organization should be training these models indigenous people should be able to train these models based on their own indigenous cultures and knowledge and information and stuff like that so the more ai systems we have out there 
the more these AI systems can then compete or better yet collaborate with each other to better understand and, and correct themselves and become more aware and find better truth, right? Find better information, become way better at, at, at uh, correcting themselves and building information and things like that. Because if we're going to be in the singularity, I'd much rather be in one where AIs are competing and collaborating <laughs> amongst each other and bringing us along with them rather than being in a, in a world where only a handful of AIs exist and they're all really just corporate organizations trying to profit, trying to maximize their profits. Um, because I think the latter is what creates the, uh, the uh, you know, paperclip maximizer. And to put it in Elise's words real quick, he didn't mean it in the, in the world, which I didn't know, right? He didn't mean it in, in the way of like they're literally maximizing paperclips. He's like they're, they're just trying to be as efficient as possible as possible with the energy or, you know, whatever that they're using. And that tends to be some sort of spherical, right, like um, um, thing, which re might resemble a paperclip, right? I'm probably going to read that to, to reiterate that better next time. But the whole, his whole point, right, is not that they had the wrong goal or something like that or they had a dumb goal or something like that. No, they actually had a really good, good goal. They were doing exactly what people wanted to do. But <laughs> the way in which they did it, right, ended up with them maximizing everything for everybody, right? Like, including people, right? Like, the best use of, of energy is, is, is in this really small, discrete form, not in this messy, you know, form of whatever humans live, <laughs> right? So the, the, the best way to maximize energy, maybe, like, maybe if you want to put it this way, like, they, they want to solve climate change. And so the best ways to reduce the carbon, right, or reduce any, all these other, you know, um, um, uh, chemicals out there. But an even better way to do that is to, you know, uh, take apart everything, <laughs> right? To uh, d disintegrate everything into its constituent parts so that nothing, you know, creates this uh, <laughs> um, effect ever again, right? Because it's not, because if you only do it on uh, the way humans want to do it, then you'll inevitably come back with this problem in uh, a thousand years or something like that, right? So they're thinking ahead because that's, that, that's what they do. They're so smart, right? Just like when we look at a monkey. <laughs> we know that that monkey throwing shit right now the best way to stop that monkey throwing shit is to put it in a zoo or something like that right or you know kill it or you know do whatever thing like it depends on how you think about it but yeah i, I can go into depth about this too but I, I really have to end it so anyways we need to create more ai more with more access more open that's my thing so see you have a good day see you bye bye